Voices serves as the megaphone for individuals who have endured transformational change. By highlighting trials and triumphs, our desire is to create a safe space for pivotal conversations, which in turn will deepen the story and provoke hope for you, our listeners. As you may know, change is never easy, but it is inevitable. You are not alone in what you're facing. Your transformation is possible, purposeful, and now. And here's Aaron Wiggum, founder and managing director of New You, with this week's guest. Welcome to another edition of New Voices. I'm your host, Aaron Wiggum, and it's a pleasure to have you today. We, You are in for a treat, let me tell you. We have a wonderful guest with us today. Uh, this man is a renowned investor. He is a, an accomplished um, musician. He also is a father. He is a husband. He is... A, a an amazing strategist. I know him for his strategy. Um, he is a, a absolute thought leader, and he is provocative in nature. Um, he knows how to um, elect, how to disrupt in the most progressive and um, strategic manner. And so, I'm just so excited to have this guy here. He, he flew into town this morning, so he might be a little tired, uh, but we're going to get the conversations going real real quick here. Um, none other than partner at Devlan um, in Oakland, California. He's also a Houstonian um, and now is living in Oakland, but he's now in Tulsa with us for the Black Venture Summit. None other than Mr. Miles Dotson. Welcome, Miles. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I want to jump in. We, you know, this has been a long time coming. Uh, we met a few years ago uh, and I moved here in 2020. And I think you came around early 2021 yeah, that's right. for the um, centennial of the massacre. Yeah. And that's when we first touched base. And I, I, you know, there's some people you meet in life that you realize right away, like, this is one of your people, mm. right? And me and Miles kind of had that connection um, from the start. He reached out to me, bro, what's up? I reached out to him, bro, what's up? <laughs> and we bounce ideas and concepts and different things off of each other. And so I'm so glad to have him with us here today in the studio. Thanks so much for this for yeah. accepting the invitation. For sure. So let's get it started. Um, give us the Miles Dotson story. Um, let's go back to the beginning. Talk, mm -hmm. talk, give us the story. Wow. Um, I always tell this one different every time, but, you know, just thinking about early childhood to now as a flash forward, uh, both my parents are engineers, my dad mechanical and electrical for my mom, um, grew up in very large families. So my childhood was rich with cousins and family members and big family events, so mm -hmm. big clan, big, big, gigantic family, uh, lots of cousins. Mm -hmm. Uh, including extended cousins, uh, and and Houston was like a home. It was a sacred place. I went to uh, early school in Third Ward, where the majority of my family grew up. Um, my grandmother grew up uh, between um, uh, Fort Bend County and uh, the CUNY Homes Projects. Mm -hmm. A majority of them went to Yates okay. uh, High School. I've heard of Yates. Really yeah, popular high school. Um, I went to a, a private school called uh, St. James, mm -hmm. which a uh, number of notable people attended, including Beyonce and others. Oh, okay. Um, Did y'all go to school at the same time? Yeah. She was, you know, she's slightly older than I am, mm -hmm. closer to my older sister's age. Okay. But, you know, I have VHS tapes of my grandfather recording, you know, school plays and shows. Yeah. And everybody's all in the same space. It's one kind of like tight knit community. Yeah. Um, there's two questions that always come to mind for me is like, how do I have such proximity to people? Mm -hmm. But then when you think about black population and percentage ratio, right. you know, it, it makes more be, sense. Yeah. Maybe six degrees for other folks is one to two for us. Exactly. Um, so Houston was just a really interesting place full of food, vibrancy. Mm -hmm. um, my parents' generation, specifically my dad's uh, side was... Uh, kind of the first gap generation that didn't carry forward the torch of entrepreneurship from my my grandfather mm. and well my grandfather and his father's generation. They mm. 
owned several businesses on the south side of Houston. Mm-hmm. A lot of people knew their burger bar and their okay. cleaners. And my dad grew up in those spaces, having a steady job, place to work that was all family owned. Nice. Uh, unfortunately, those uh, businesses didn't exist by the time I came of age, the mm-hmm. working age. Um, and so uh, for my mom, who whose family wasn't necessarily representative of that, other than her uncle Hargrove, who, you know, was married into the family. Uh, my parents together kind of built this narrative for us as kids, my older sister, and then later my younger sister, of um, just trying to strive to make an impact in community, being grounded in that, but finding ways through service to be stewards of the community, whether it be business, mm-hmm. uh, through faith-based uh, involvement, mm-hmm. or volunteerism, mm-hmm. and, and community work. So that was really my childhood and definitely education was top tier because mm-hmm. you know to two parents engineers it's almost like oh yeah you you're going you going to learn this yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's baked in yeah had a connection with a lot of first gen friends that i have the their parents whether it be caribbean or mm-hmm. from anywhere uh you know their parents definitely put a lot of priority on education right that kind of interdependence that can come back and support the family right and, and help um but I, I think I had an itch to do something a little bit different. Um, uh, had a lot of attention to the space industry because you grew up, you know, several minutes mm-hmm. away from Johnson Space Center. Right. Uh, astronauts would present in our, our elementary school classrooms, mm-hmm. the things that seemed distant and uh, fairy tale like to most people were first nature to us. Right. You know, our friends parents either worked for Boeing or NASA directly or mm-hmm. worked in the region for organizations that were connected to that. And there's a lot of just, you know, technology and, and um, activity around that uh, really challenged my thought around what my life would be. And uh, I grew this addiction to futurism, mm-hmm. movies, stories, things of that nature tied me into that. And so um, I just built this mindset for myself that I would somehow be an inventor one day. Mm-hmm and um, build things or create things that people could use to improve their lives or change their stories, change their pictures. And I never really, I would say like it was a, a child childhood dream, but not, I don't think I had the uh, untapered confidence around it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I began to realize um, as I got to high school age and kind of fell in love with music and music technology that, I kind of started to back away from some of those audacious dreams and settle into more simple kind of um, person around the town mm-hmm. aspirations. I had a you know pretty successful mobile DJ business mm-hmm. and um, was just confident that I was able to access and make money at a time without a college degree, without any of the things that people were encouraging me to pursue mm-hmm. um, in the future. And I kind of got to this place where I really lost a lot of my ambition mm. to do to do other things. And my mom was the person that kind of picked me back up into, you know, examining what I I found joy in and finding a, a way professionally to try to pursue that. Right. Um, but it's it's so interesting. I end up uh, kind of in my, the middle of my college journey at the point the financial crisis happens. Uh. So even though I was you know, sizing myself up for maybe a little bit brighter future. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of that was compromised and thrown into a pivot uh, because of where the economy was. And mm-hmm. so even though I uh, made a practical decision to get a degree and, and try to create a safety net for myself, uh, it, it wasn't safe at all. Yeah. Now, where'd you go to school? Uh, to the University of Miami. Miami. Uh, Coral Gables. Okay. South Florida. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. U. Yeah, the U. Okay. And uh, what'd you study? Uh, electrical engineering with an audio focus, so telecom, yep. wireless communication, uh, image processing, video processing, mm-hmm. mics, transducers. All okay. Oh, so this is all your, this yeah, is your jam I'm, right here. I'm at home. Okay. I got it. All right. Yeah. And so what kind of led you, is, is that the gateway that kind of led you into the music industry? No, I, I, uh, my cousin, my one of my older cousins got signed to Warner Brothers, uh, yeah, around 2001, so I was I was still like middle school okay. age at the time, like late middle school age, and um, had showed me everything that he was doing to be able to access that opportunity. So I kind of began to shadow him and mm-hmm. contribute to some of the things that they were doing. 
And then by the time I got to uh, university, which was a short time from then, uh, I actually went on the road with them, started running sound for them. Mm. Um, and my high school experience was just full of me, um, you know, making music, pursuing music. I was vocally trained as classical voice and bass uh, range, uh, a little bit of baritone stuff too. Okay. Um, I sang in church when I was smaller, yeah. but... Um, all the choir directors scared me, so I kind of like didn't survive into <laughs> older ages. And I just did music on my own. I had a, a piano and keyboard at my house. Yeah. Uh, when recording software started to you know become more popular, mm-hmm. we were recording at my house. Used Fruity Loops to produce Fruit Loop, records. Yep, yep, Fruity Loops. Um, yep. and, and I was I was determined to the okay. point that we were offered a record deal. Uh, while I was in high school, mm-hmm. organized a ton of shows, DJed shows. Mm-hmm. Was just kind of caught up in the culture of being able to perform in front of people and and do things. So like my musical journey started at a, a much younger age, mm-hmm. but catapulted once I got to Miami when I had real access to places like the Hit Factory, mm-hmm. Circle House, right. you know, South Beach Studios, right. on, a, on a road, uh, music and uh, 10K Islands, like other, other places that were professional spaces mm-hmm. for, for making and contributing to music. And and gave me a different lens beyond making music for radio consumption mm-hmm. to making music for sync, right. license right. placement, and and actually gave me a, a income. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Whereas some of my friends who are pursuing music as a an artist as, as an artist yeah. were not able to actually um, make make any money right. uh, or make any consistent money off right. of. They're working for for quite some time until they had a big breakthrough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the music industry can be tricky in that way because sometimes, you know, unless you are, I mean, we see what Beyonce is doing right now on this tour. I mean, this is just, Lydia just got back from Beyonce at at Kansas City, our last show, and she couldn't stop talking for the last three days. Like, Beyonce, I mean, she's still, yeah, she, you know, but all the things that go into that, and that's part of what she shared in her experience, like, the theatrics of it and mm-hmm. all of the, the, the pyrotech and all of the, like the, the imagery and yeah. um, the display of everything, like all of that is masterful work. And we're mm-hmm. seeing it at the highest level with Beyonce, right? Yeah. Unless you're that caliber artist, yeah. you don't really get that kind of budget to do all of Correct. those things. Right. And so when you being able to make music, in a way that is sustainable and you're getting consistent checks, mm-hmm. not by being the front person or being, yeah. you know, but by creating um, things that um, almost can become ambient or become mm-hmm. second secondary, yeah. but they're consistent. Like most of the stuff that I've done, most people won't, wouldn't believe that it was me or right. I had any involvement. Mm-hmm. I did old Navy commercials that people played on exactly. repeat that they would never know it was me. Yeah. Um, I learned how to throw and stretch my voice mm. to mimic different tones. Okay. Um, I always wanted to be a um, a cartoon show like voice like voice actor, yeah voiceover yeah you know, to throw my voice and make different tones yeah and come up with different sounds okay uh, and so I did that I did that I used to sing uh, sing different placements and kids voice mm-hmm. teen young adult older voice yeah. Uh, sound like a radio announcer from the 50s. Right. You know, there's all these different projects that I did that, um, you know, were not notable in the sense of uh, for first name. Right. Notability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it paid the bills. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, perceivable. I didn't really have any bills. So right. I was mostly blowing the money. Yeah. And I uh, could have made much more uh, savvy decisions with the earnings I was making. But mm-hmm. it, it helped to enable some valuable lessons that, I reflect on even today in terms of my understanding of what the financial crisis actually meant. Mm-hmm. You know, for real estate market, Miami's real estate market was tore up when I got there. Mm. The financial crisis only made it worse. Mm-hmm. I was making enough money to buy not only one property, but probably a few. Right. Never, never journeyed into that. Wow. Um, you know, there's just some things that I, I, I really fastened to now mm-hmm. that. Um, is awareness that I gained just, you know, over time through age, through maturity. Yeah. So as you're laying out this timeline, let me let me just jump in here. I, what, I, what I'm loving to hear about this story so far is that 
you know, you talked about your parents being engineers and kind of being the anchor of the family mm-hmm. and how they almost created the canvas that you needed to be able to, to give you the flexibility to be creative in the way mm-hmm. that you are, right? Yeah. So, like you said, your, your grandparents' business was no longer around, yeah. but you also had this safety net of security in mm-hmm. two professional parents that um, made sure that you were educated, made sure that you were, you know, where, where you needed to be, mm-hmm. but then gave you this canvas yeah. to create a whole new reality for yourself that you're still creating now yeah. in a very unventured path, right? Yeah. Yeah. No pun intended. And so can you speak a little bit to that? Like, what mm-hmm. does that mean to you to be able to have, like a lot of times people coming from our communities mm-hmm. don't have that story, right? Yeah, for sure. Speak to that for a moment. A moment. Yeah, you know, my, 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 both of my parents, you know, their parents were working class folks. Um, you know, it's it's a really there's a duality present there. Like, you know, my my dad's parents were not college educated mm-hmm. um, to completion, mm-hmm. um, and uh, mo- for most of their lives, worked trades jobs. Mm-hmm. Like my grandfather opened the Astrodome oh, uh, as wow, a service okay. worker. Okay, uh, was in the hospitality industry for ages, mm-hmm. and had a fondness and love for people through that. Mm-hmm. And and you know, his gift to his family was bringing back food or bringing home extras and things of that nature. And they, you know, they still have like a kind of mythos around him and celebrating him and telling stories about him. Um, My dad's deceased, but like for, for remaining relatives, they, they all kind of have this sense of acknowledgement around my grandfather. But my dad was a, was very much so like I began to observe that I was as a child, Mm -hmm. but didn't have the support and avenues to pursue uh, his creative passions right. in, a, in an era that was far more practical, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he went to UT Austin at a time mm-hmm. where Stevie Ray Vaughan and Eric Clapton yeah. and B.B. King were taking on shows and tearing yep. it up. Yep. Um, and, you know, there really wasn't a South by. There. Mm-hmm. It was just a live music scene. Right. Hosted parties and, and, and shows like Confunction would show up at house parties that they were hosting. Oh, wow. In college. Uh, would chase to the airport to try to run into Natalie Cole mm-hmm. or someone else that was journeying through town because mm-hmm. the airport didn't have TSA like it does today. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, and so he he had kind of a, a lingering desire mm-hmm. for a life that he wasn't able to access. Exactly. And my mom was always like a kind of a, a stellar academic, mm-hmm. like a, a bit of a, a achiever. Um, her mother uh, pursued a PhD in education mm-hmm. while raising six kids, which still today makes no sense to me. None. In, yeah. in any form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but was self-driven in that sense and, you know, wanted to achieve, had, had promotion to, you know, pursue it, but, you know, really, um, you know, made a decision to enable that picture. And my, my grandfather on my mom's side uh, and my mom's father was a postal worker, mm. you know, Post service uh, member ended up in the post office. Mm-hmm. Had a steady job and lived yeah. in the same community he grew up in yeah. since a kid, and it, it really, you know, there was nothing else that he really needed right. or, or wanted in life other than to be amongst his community. So, mm-hmm. for for my parents, as like a blended picture or a hybrid, mm-hmm. the two of their personas together kind of created this environment of immense creativity. My dad's record collection was a amazing in size and mm-hmm. music constantly playing in the house, him doing time as a radio announcer mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of moonlighting as that right. uh, in adulthood, you know, created a, you know, a, a, a environment that felt very musical, very mm-hmm. vibrant. Mm-hmm. And then my mom was, you know, very practical, very tactical, very st- strategic. Right. Right. And so, you know, so that's the duality. That's like, a little bit of your dad's creativity, a little bit of your yeah. mom's like strategy. Yeah, and I think my my older sister represents that in a similar way. Um, I would say that I delve more uh, into the creative realm, um, mainly out of just find, finding a sense of belonging mm-hmm. in 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 music and creativity and art. Uh, but I would say my older sister was like equally talented in arts and things of that nature, but she was incredibly gifted at, at academics in a way that. Um, I didn't feel that I was, and you know, 
I kind of walked in a shadows pattern behind her, mm-hmm. you know, through, um, through school because she, you know, we went to school in a small area outside of Houston in Pearland. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, her, every teacher she had, I ended up having after right, her. Right. Yeah. And so I was so you're always somebody's legacy. little brother. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which was not, it, it was largely to my benefit because she had the best, one of the best reputations Lays of the trail. student yeah. uh, possible. Um, but I, I had a different task to um, individualize myself amongst uh, educators that did not choose to see me as an individual, as a person. Mm, I was good point. just my uh, the, the shadow of my sister's legacy. Right. And I think my younger sister, she had a, a, a similar experience with um, kind of my my track record in, in okay. school, which can create some really hard dynamics to to follow and to adjust to so um I, I would say like you know environmentally my parents had the same like um kind of strong hand mm-hmm. and, and willful mentality around hard work and, mm-hmm. and pursuit but they're very practical okay like a lot of the things that i began to take interest in were outside of their range of uh perspective mm-hmm. uh, or their lived experience so right. it started to challenge what they had encouraged me to do is to be limitless yeah and as i began to kind of test those limits step or, more into that yeah yeah it put them in a place of really having to figure out how to how to support me best in, right in that picture and i think you know that's the the route of parents they they really at one point could only offer me encouragement mm-hmm and nothing else because right. there was really nothing that they understood through experience in some of the spaces I was walking into. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the pressure that comes along with having to produce. I'm assuming mm-hmm. uh, I'm, uh, you're the only boy. Yeah. Only yeah. Boy. Yeah. Only boy. And so let's talk about the pressure of having to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, you have parents that are well-achieved. You have a lineage that is heralded, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have um, the community that that knows you at minimum and loves you at maximum, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You are trailblazing a, tr- a path that is uncharted, right, mm-hmm. for your family. And what what did that pressure feel like as you mm-hmm. don't quite know what you're doing, but you're doing what you're passionate about? Mm-hmm. And you don't know maybe what the outcome looks like at the end of that. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the pressure that that's that is baked into that. They'll say the beginning and like um, younger years, the pressure was more so about academic achievement, right, and meeting a standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I delved deeper into like my own passions, uh, the pressure mainly came from me because um, you know, like I mentioned a little bit, uh, each new endeavor or each segment of my story uh, had me interfacing with a, a bit of struggle mm. and uh, perseverance that um, was not as, like, efficient of a process. Mm. I think about, too, like, this idea of, you know, education makes you or sells you on this dream of, like, checking all the boxes, right. either great job, you go home. Right. Get the house, get yep. the car. It all comes, know, yeah. Everything yeah. starts working out. And, yeah. and my story was uh, n- not in that cadence. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I looked at my older sister, there's somewhat linear pattern in terms of her matriculation through um, undergrad, professional degree, mm-hmm. corporate life, mm-hmm. with struggles, but like not, um, I-, I felt like at every step of my journey, the reason I was there was being pulled out. Like the rug was being pulled out. Wow. Okay. I got to Miami at a very beautiful economic time. Yeah. And then midway through my experience, the entire economic base of Miami is undermined. Yeah. Overnight. Wow. Places that we would patronize and visit and spend time at close rapidly fast. Um, And um, there's just vast impacts, Mm. Um, uh, you know, and, and domino uh, cadences that came from that mm-hmm. to like trying to enter the workforce, um, have an opportunity to pursue uh, academic research mm-hmm. pathway through a program that I was nominated into by a black uh, 
uh, uh, faculty member mm-hmm. and and dean at the university at the time who had gone through a pattern like that mm-hmm. was trying to promote that for other students that looked like him got the chance to access it but because of what was happening in the world and the iPhone mm-hmm. and like all these things um you know and the technology space expanding so rapidly I made a decision to pursue a startup yeah while in undergrad failed miserably at it <laughs> but learned a valuable lesson of a different type of entrepreneurship than I than I was reared under mm. you know it wasn't just cash you know right. cash and carry based right. entrepreneurship but something more theoretical okay something that was latching onto the future in a way that I was fascinated so mm. I get into the workforce mm-hmm. I don't I'm not acquiring a job through traditional means right my first job I was referred to by somebody who had graduated from the University of Miami and basically vouched for my degree mm-hmm. as a prerequisite to the work that I could do or accomplish at the job. Mm-hmm. Only stayed there 13 months. Okay. My next job was at a company with less than 50 employees with a CEO who had sold multiple companies mm. in the same playbook. Mm. And because I was such a learner, I drained this man's mind of all the different decisions and strategies that he was employing to, to do what he had done before mm-hmm. once again. Mm-hmm which is prep a company, build it up, right. gain it revenue, off. and sell it. Yeah. Which was a habitual practice for him at that point. Mm-hmm. But he was transparent. He never withheld information, uh, wasn't bothered or annoyed by my questions. Mm-hmm. It was a very familial atmosphere and supportive atmosphere for mm-hmm. people who were driven to um, take the lead on stuff. And in my experience in the music industry, that was common. Like, mm-hmm. you take on a project, you want to jump in a session, you want to do things. You were promoted for being a you know, first a go-getter. Mover, yeah. A go-getter. Yeah. So um, for me, the the pressure was more self-defined, mm. which I, I would say is like, you know, equally challenging because I, I started to form these futuristic kind of milestone identities of myself mm-hmm. that were not not realistic. Mm. Okay. Um, you know, like I would have this type of income and success by a certain age yeah. or I would be doing this or that by a certain age. Yeah. And as I learned through the process, <laughs> I was in a completely different place than where I predicted I yeah. would be. Yeah. But the one thing that was true is like this almost survivalistic methods and mechanics that I could leverage mm-hmm. to get from that place to the next place. Okay. That was always true. My toolkit was uh, somewhat uniform, mm-hmm. but the the environment, the scenery, the ingredients were constantly changing. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. It's just adaptability is, uh, I would say, a learned practice. Yeah. Um, and I, I had to both benefit uh, through uh, unfortunate and fortunate circumstances to fasten that as a, as, as a practice mm-hmm. that now I'm, I'm living to see the value in where, like you said, the pressure of performing and the pressure of meeting this kind of ideological version of myself Mm -hmm. would constantly put me in this place of not feeling like enough Mm. or like I, I didn't meet the mark of who I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Um, Just a couple more questions. So I want to get a little bit into um, Devland. So you, Mm -hmm. you know, the connection between you and Devon. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to uh, Devon Fanfare. Yeah. 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 and so we want to, uh, how did you all meet? Mm-hmm. And then where did, where did, what kind of sparked ev- uh, the evolution of, of uh, Devland? Yeah. So um, as, as I was involved with so many different things kind of coming up, uh, I was a DJ for a faith-based organization that was spinning out of the church that I grew up in in mm-hmm. Houston that was centered around like a love of the music of Dilla Mm, yeah, and um, just like a fascination around like humans mm-hmm. and culture mm-hmm. uh, that actually Mar- Marlon Hall yeah. and uh, Danielle, who's uh, now Devon's wife, okay, were leading at the time, and it was like a really safe space and avant garde and very cultural and creative, where like some of the you know most um, interesting people were gathering mm. to. Um, not only feel enlightened, but to uh, have access to um, 
ingredients and methods to to live a better, more holistic life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just a DJ. I would spin a record. Mm-hmm. I would start something off, and the band would take it over. Okay, uh, Chris Dave, the mm-hmm. jazz, yeah, Chris, he was Chris one Daddy. of the drummers yeah. that was there. So there were some really interesting people around that time. So I had a really fond memory. And when I left for college, I had done that for like a year or so. And then, uh, you know, a few years after I left for college. And then when I returned to Houston after college, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of sought that that same space out. And they had made a lot of transitions. Mm-hmm. They had moved on mm-hmm. to different spaces, but the community was continuing. And so as I reentered that community, on uh, initially uh, visiting home, uh, Devon was the first person that I met. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like a moment in the... Um, experience where they would ask you to connect with people whether you know them or not okay kind of share an exchange of of a message Mm -hmm. or some type of mantra and 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 connect with that person and go back to your seat Mm -hmm. and and upon returning and and going to this devon was the first person i met and he kind of had this like very springy in it like you know how Mm -hmm. he is yeah he's just like um like energy in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could tell that he was just excited to, and and, and um, just uh, motivated about people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that kind of was like a abbreviated connection. And then when I, um, after Swan and I got together um, and um, we were married and uh, having, having our first kid, we were looking for a place to go. Mm-hmm. And we reconnected with that space. Okay. And um, uh, I, I got to see that Devon was like an integral part mm. of how that community was continuing. Mm-hmm. And also that he was in a relationship with Danielle, mm-hmm. who was a, you know, a founding member of the original experience and uh, one of the um, like leaders and communicators of the message that we would experience on, on each week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a really exciting space to go back into. And there were multiple moments where like, this was like both a spiritually enriching space, but also one that was encouraging people to delve into their passions mm-hmm. in real life, like mm-hmm. pursuing things that they wanted to see happen in the world. And Devon and I hit it off talking about, you know, different things we were interested in mm-hmm. and made a commitment to come together and like start working on, you know, pondering different ideas kind of as a, a brainstorm practice on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I like our relationship started to kind of kick off. But what was most interesting about that is in experimenting, uh, experimenting around ideas that we didn't really have too, too much of a care about, you mm-hmm. know, it's just very experimental, mm-hmm. very detached. Mm-hmm. It helped us learn about each other mm-hmm. in a way that it was really beneficial. We developed a friendship mm-hmm. off of that. And um, kind of what created the Devland story is, um, he calls me one day after I had moved to California mm. uh, to tell me that uh, we had an investor. And I said, investor in what? Because mm-hmm. we had worked on so many different ideas mm-hmm. that I forgot, you know, what what idea he might be describing. And he, he reminded me of the idea that he was, uh, you know, uh, describing. And um, what was interesting is we didn't have a prototype. We didn't have a design. Mm-hmm. We had notes and, you know, like uh, maybe a few um, pages of, mm-hmm. of ideas and mood board, but nothing, nothing that I felt was tangible enough to have warranted him yeah. getting a $50,000 check from somebody that yeah. he barely knew wow, or didn't know enough, in my opinion, to receive this amount of money from. Right. And so it put us in this puzzle of like, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. We know other people who are pursuing a startup thing or company. And they can't find money anywhere. They're way further along than we are and can't find money. So what, what's happening? Mm -hmm. And um, we had to make the decision kind of in parallel to pursue this first company and to forge a relationship with this original investor, Mm -hmm. which allowed us to invest into four other companies. Mm. And so like what we were doing in an ad hoc sense, right formalized in that first year as the combination of building companies Mm -hmm. and being able to invest by finding other people like Philip, our original investor, Mm -hmm. to help us um, uh, resource the capital needed to to grow new opportunities. 
Um, and in our early days, it was kind of like, you know, made for TV, Shark Tank type stuff. And then uh, we were reminded of both Devon and I's past in our university time in research mm -hmm. and advanced sciences, him in materials and mechanical engineering, me in electrical, mm -hmm. that there were larger, much larger opportunities that we could pursue yeah. that had an easier pathway in terms of uh, trust mm -hmm. and, and articulation with investors mm -hmm. and had proof that the market was going to expand enough for us to even get a piece get of a it. piece right yeah. yeah and so that's our eyes started to to really lean towards that and that's kind of how we ended up where we are today which has been this kind of uh combination of his passion around people excitement around innovative ideas mm -hmm. and my mentality around structuring repeatable processes to do that mm -hmm. and and expand and scale what we do mm -hmm. through the use of you know different types of systems different designs yeah so yeah. and we we do that in an agnostic sense. We call it what we call it because in certain rooms, you, that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Yeah, um, yeah. But we have a it's a general interface around human potential. Mm -hmm. We want to see uh, the brightest and most enabled people be successful. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, despite the backdrop of you know where capital goes to t statistically or mm -hmm. where the country is and you know social or economic progress, mm -hmm. uh, we think there's work for us to do, and we're willing to take the form factor of whatever's required mm -hmm. to accomplish that ultimate goal of uh, achieving a different destination of human potential. Mm. Okay. Got it. Got it. As you know, uh, I shared with you before we, we came on air is that, you know, New Voices serves as a megaphone for individuals who have endured these, these transformational uh, pivotal experiences. And so um I would like for you to just talk about, you know, you've shared a lot about your family and about your progression through these different industries. Mm -hmm. um, what I would like for you to do is take us through a moment where you didn't quite know if or how it was going to work out. Mm -hmm. And you can, wh whichever one, it doesn't matter. You, you know, you didn't know and you were perplexed, mm -hmm. overwhelmed, and... I, w I would like to know like what happened in that situation. Mm -hmm. And then two, I would like to know how did you hold on to hope? Mm -hmm. How did you, what, what did you hold on to to get you out of there and into mm -hmm. the next thing? Oh, I mean, the most transformational experience I've had in my entire life, my dad is battling cancer and kind of coming to the end of his journey, having more complications mm -hmm. and struggles. I told my sister to, you know, you know, to keep on her mind if his health got to a place where I need to get on a plane and come mm -hmm. immediately. Yeah, call me. She just called me. Just let and, me know. And yeah. I go to the airport and make it happen. So that, that moment happened. Okay. And, and that moment happened shortly after Harvey. Mm. You know, in yeah. a really, really difficult, critical time. My sister just moved back to Houston. Wow. My dad is, you know, in, in, uh, chemo recovery mm -hmm. and on dialysis mm -hmm. and going through a lot of different experiences. And um, I come home and he's in the ICU and he's having some struggles with some bleeding and um, had had an operation before I got there and was, you know, being requested by the the, the doctors that were um, surveying his, his condition to go into a, a a, additional mm -hmm. operations to cauterize, you know, one of his um, arteries okay. or, you know, something to help stop the bleeding. Right. And, um, you know, it was, it was really difficult to be in a place of seeing somebody that's like, you're really vibrant yeah. and, you know, uh, an influential person in my life and other people's go through such a really difficult struggle. Mm -hmm. But the most, an unreal, unimaginable thing happened where um, the bleeding really didn't stop. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I had spent a lot of time. I took one course in college that was about healthcare outcomes mm -hmm. and a cultural competency and how sometimes the messaging gets a little bit mixed up between uh, uh, physicians, providers, doctors, and and surgeons, and the patient, mm -hmm. and the experience gets all jacked mm -hmm. up. 
And we, I talked to the the surgeon about, you know, what was the the risk outcome of the procedure that they wanted to perform on them, mm-hmm. and likelihood of survival, mm-hmm. and the likelihood of survival was very low. Mm-hmm. And so, there were family members coming, there were people there. He was in very stable status. He was having issues, his discomfort, but it wasn't um, to that point. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. to that point. Yeah, and so. You know, I, I asked him what he wanted to do and what he felt comfortable with. And ultimately, he made a decision to, uh, you know, to to not have the operation. Mm-hmm. And um, in the process, you know, I, I we kind of talked about kind of making preparations for him to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And family members started to come and visit. You know, the hospital has all these rules yeah, about how yeah. many people can be right, in the room and right. stuff. And uh, it, it started as a cadence of people coming in and out and yeah. rotating and talking. And he didn't have verbalization, so he was writing down mm. a lot of stuff and, mm. you know, still finding joy and laughter mm-hmm. and sharing stories and showing gratitude, appreciating on people. And I got to witness, like, literally his surviving family members and friends get to interact with him in what they perceived as his last day. Mm. Right. Wow. And how he held space in that moment. And it got to this place where the room began to swell. Mm. And there all the people stopped leaving mm-hmm. and were staying and surrounding him around the bed. Yeah. At at his bedside to to be in this experience with him mm-hmm. as we perceived that he was, you know, ultimately gonna make a transition mm-hmm. in the near time. Um and uh I remember praying for the room and for the family and kind of looking around the room and harvesting in my mind all these people. Mm. Uh, and that that evening ended with him like not going into further critical condition, mm-hmm. continuing to be stabilized and the, and the bleeding not really uh, exacerbating after that. Mm-hmm. And so like he got to do his farewell tour. Right, right. And it gave me an entirely different perspective about death man. and how in the commotion of like this society and specifically how Americans do life and death, mm-hmm. that we aren't often afforded mm-hmm. that moment yes. of departure in the yeah. way that he was. It was the most phenomenal mm. experience I've ever witnessed. Mm. 12 days later, I get laid off. Mm. 12 days later, I get laid off. And then... Uh, <laughs> um, 12 days later I get laid off let's, let's give a quick quick yeah, yeah. pause it, it's fine okay yeah. you good they're coming in a little bit yeah okay so. alright we'll wrap it up um, how much longer do you think we got uh, probably till 5 probably okay alright so we got about 5 more minutes we're good okay, we're good. good okay so 12 days later you yeah. got laid off 12 days later I got laid off and then um, I managed to get an interview at at Facebook now Meta, mm-hmm. um, the week later, for another opportunity that I was like really excited about, and I had already been interviewing for kind of expectation that there was going to be a change in my company, mm-hmm. um, and my dad passes the morning mm-hmm. of the interview, and what was interesting, like my my first cousin was at his bedside, and kind of became a, he was a person that my dad had a really critical role in. In, in his upbringing mm-hmm. and felt that this was like a moment of uh, contribution that mm-hmm. he needed to take part in. Yeah. Um, and mainly because I was away and, and, you know, my sister was there, but there wasn't as much uh, close support. And um, what was interesting is like my dad told him like, Hey, you know, tell miles, you got this, you, you know, proceed further, mm-hmm. do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That opportunity didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And, I, I come home and um, we kind of have his memorial and that whole experience. So I'm dealing with the grief of my father mm-hmm. departing and job losing a job mm-hmm. and having to deal with the economic, you know, realities of it. And my wife's telling me like, hey, you know, y- you're going through something. Like yeah. you need to pay attention to how you're reacting. You yeah. know, this is an experience. Uh, we had lost her father in the past and so had a prior experience with that as as part of our story together. Mm-hmm. And I just went into this this zone mm. 
like one that until recently in therapy, I've not been able to really process or interpret mm-hmm. that started with that experience with my dad, mm. the like the added immense pressure and energy of my layoff and then having to start this chapter of, um, you know, closure with my dad's passing mm-hmm. and the the most insane happened, uh, insane thing happened to me. There was just like a surrendering peace that fell over me in those moments mm. that it, it, it terrified my wife. Mm. Why are you so Why calm? are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why are you so adjusted? Are you okay? Are you processing this mm-hmm. correctly? And in that, Devland was probably like nine months old, mm-hmm. nine or 10 months old at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I move into a season of creating the next phase of my life mm-hmm. with certainty and calmness and um, a gift, I would say, from that experience with my dad that was unparalleled to any any reality. It was traumatic, yeah. but was unparalleled to any experience I'd had in my life right. to date. Wow. And it just gave me a, a different uh, perspective on life mm. that I stopped taking steps and actions off of like the validations I was creating for people in terms of like my corporate experience and mm. how I was living and, and burning up hours for other people to be successful uh, off of, you know, things that I was creating and, and sometimes in a rejection of ideas that I was bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. It just allowed me to affirm myself in a way that in the beginning was not the most positive, mm-hmm. but with Devon's support mm-hmm. and my wife and Danielle and other mm-hmm. folks, I've gotten to see that story kind of move to a place of like truly blooming in a way that, you know, Devland is seven years old. Mm-hmm. Like that experience is like well deep nestled into uh, my past experiences, mm-hmm. but one thing remains true and kind of holds still is that calmness mm-hmm. that I was offered yeah. in a moment of like utter chaos, like chaos, yeah. Yeah. and 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 disappointment and sadness. Yeah, has carried me through to where when people interact with me, the reason that I'm able to be so registered mm-hmm. is because nothing that I'm going to experience. Yeah. Beyond this matches that. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Not in any form. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I hold true to that because, you know, um I don't I don't think people will have the opportunity to witness mm-hmm. folks like that that have impacted their lives, see see their flowers and see their their turn mm-hmm. of or transition. And so now I greet transition with a completely different energy yeah. than I did before because of what I witnessed of a person with great strength yeah. surrender to, um, you know, the, 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 the moment that it called them. Mm-hmm. Wow, man, that's powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. that yeah. That's, there's so many places I can take that right yeah. now, but yeah. um, one thing I really, I really want to kind of underscore there is, you know, you're, you're talking about having that peace throughout all this chaos and, you know, one of the things I really st- try to stress to people is that, you know, the difference between peace and serenity mm-hmm. is that peace is being at peace no matter what. This is chaotic, no matter what, I'm at peace, right? Mm-hmm. Serenity is peace in peace. So, like, mm-hmm. if we're if you're at a peaceful place and you have peace, then you you that is being serene, right? Yeah. But you can be at peace in the middle of a war, but you're at peace, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a clear delineation between the two. And what you what you're talking about to see that peace be present in that time mm-hmm. um, gives you the hope you need to go on mm-hmm. because you understand that what I went through, yeah, nothing forward can face what I've been through, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's wonderful. Give us a call to action. How should people? How can they reach you? How mm-hmm. do you want you know? How would yeah. you like them to reach you? I'm accessible on most digital platforms. Okay, um, I would encourage people to really reach out if if they feel led to to walk into a space that deals with the long life cycle of opportunity. Okay. I think a lot of people reach out to me because they heard my story mm-hmm. or they're 
heard about Devlin or a number of things. And it's very finite, very static, yeah. like very point-based. Right. Like, hey, I got this wonderful idea to tell you about or mm. whatever it might be. And um, I think I've seen myself grow more interested in who who's the person driving this right. thing? Who right. are you? Yeah. yeah. Why does this matter to you? Yeah. Why are you choosing to live in this way? Mm-hmm. What is God in your passions? Mm-hmm. And if, you know, there's a person that feels comfortable engaging along those parameters, I welcome it. Yeah. You know, it's an exciting opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be built on outcome. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be built on a check mm-hmm. or, or anything like that. And it doesn't have to be built on an exchange. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I learned, the, I didn't say I learned it there, but I adapted more so that give first methodology. Absolutely. Going through tech stars and being in faith-based organizations, mm-hmm. service-based organizations. Yep. And I see the power of Matthew 23 mm-hmm. to 25. Like, yep. you know, there there's immense capacity in a world where people give. Yeah. And understand and discern, have awareness for what they're giving mm-hmm. and not to jeopardize that contribution. Right. And I think that uh, I am uh, incredibly um, frazzled by mm-hmm. interactions with yeah. folks that do not have that sense of um, of giving culture yeah. and acknowledgement or awareness of the power that it holds. Yeah. And so, you know, I definitely invite folks to reach out LinkedIn, Twitter, mm-hmm. Instagram, or otherwise, but but know mm-hmm. that that's yeah. that's, my that's the lens, lens you're coming through. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wonderful. Man, we thank you for this time. Have a wonderful time at the summit. And yeah. um, we, you know, I can't thank you enough. You you are somebody that I respect. Um, you you a man who means what he says and says what he means. And I appreciate that about you. So you've heard another edition of New Voices. Um, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And um, take a visit to our website, newutulsa.com. We look forward to hearing stories from you. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Voices. Visit our website at www.newutulsa.com. That is N-E-W-U-Tulsa.com. Follow us on social media at New U Tulsa on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And a special thank you to our producer, Jesse Ulrich. If you're looking for self-improvement, join our free cohorts for personal and professional development opportunities. New You is a way for diverse talent to imagine, discover, and actualize a 2.0 version of yourself. Bring your future into focus.